Welcome to season two of the Hey Dad Podcast. It's everything you love about season one, but now 10% more dad bod. And a new theme song. and non-dads. Welcome to the Hey Dad podcast. This is a podcast where three brothers. Hey there. Hey Hello. And one guy who wishes he was our brother. A good try, British voice on this one. Hold on. Um, British voice. Okay. Um, uh, hold on. Um, <laughs> Talk hold on. about dad stuff. <laughs> and sometimes non-dad stuff. Oh, a gub day. <laughs> so we felt like We felt like the portrayal of dads In pop culture didn't really represent Us or our friends very well So we decided to start a podcast to talk about what Dad life is really like for us So we wanted to kick off this season With a conversation that I'm really excited For you guys to hear because it's Super important to me Yeah, It felt like the last few episodes in particular Of the last season we were Having these conversations about Sports and going back to school And all these things but like we would turn off the mics And then the the conversations that you guys were Having as dads was about The seasons that were kind of similar that you guys Were all in like really struggling With the conversation of like How do I take care of myself when Family life is kind of insane Yeah and how do I communicate my own needs And what is like self care as a dad And so This became a very long conversation that we decided to break into two episodes. The first episode is going to be about self-care and like how do I take care of myself and how do I even like admit to myself that I'm overwhelmed, all of that stuff. And then the second part became a conversation about keeping score inside of a co-parenting relationship and how in exhaustion and tiredness and being overwhelmed, there's this temptation to start looking at the other person and nitpicking and keeping score. So this is part one. We're excited for you to hear it. Let's do it. So this week has been a pretty gnarly one for the Matson family. Uh, There are a couple other things that happened that probably aren't aren't podcast material, but on Friday I was sitting in my living room at about, let's call it 11.30 a.m., and I get a phone call from uh, my son's school, which is like always a caller ID you like don't want to get. And it's this woman who's like very clearly trying to be super like calm and professional like on the everything's phone. Everything's fine. She's like, hello, Mr. Madsen. Uh, my name is Mrs. So-and-so and I'm calling from Rancho Las Positas. And I can hear a child screaming oh, like no. at the absolute top of his lungs in the background. Oh, no. She's like, first off, your child is alive. Yeah, he honestly. Is, he is She's breathing. like, uh, Julian uh, had a fall. He fell off of the monkey bars and he's, he's okay. He's okay. But the nurse says that you should come in and look at his arm um, and maybe bring him to the doctor because, and then she kind of hesitates and I could hear her like talking off. That's like, she's like, um, the nurse says his arm is not right. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, is that the medical term for what's going on? He's okay. He's Okay. The bone is sticking out of the skin, but he's okay. So you we can see the bone. We know the bone is still there because we can see it. The bone is okay. 
When I said he's it's okay, not I meant the bone a okay. Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets situation. He still mm-hmm. has bones. We know that for we sure. We called Ooh. Professor Lockhart. He's on his way. Everything will be fine. <laughs> Gilderoy yeah. took care of it. <laughs> so I like sprint out my front door and like peel out in my tiny little Nissan Leaf electric car. Like very quietly bombing down my street to get to the to the school, which I live like, you know, a ten minute walk from. I pull in, and I like run, and I pull in, and I parked in the teacher staff lot, and I fully had this moment where it was like like it, there's a sign that says like no parent parking, Rancho staff only, and there was that was the spot I saw open, and I parked in there, and I had that like daydream where I'm like someone like yelled at me from across the parking lot, and I'm just like yes, say something, yes, say something, I'm gonna yell back. I've got all this adrenaline. Take I'm my like, car. You throw the keys at her. You're running, and you're like, <laughs> my son's arm is not right. He's okay though. He's okay <laughs> though. So I run in there and I can hear like as soon as I open the door to the office, I can hear him like screaming. And Julian, my middle son, is like very, I mean, as far as like five-year-olds go, very tough. Seriously. Like, yeah, he's a tank. He's had an absurd amount of injuries. This is his third broken bone already. He's already broken two fingers <laughs> and he's had stitches in his lip. I mean, he's He's a crazy person, but he's tough. And so hearing him specifically scream like this is like heart wrenching. You know, it's bad. And so I go in there and he's just like, and I could see his face and I can see him like fighting to hold it together. And he's got his arm on the, uh, like resting flat on the, on the arm of like one of those office swivel chairs. And he's sitting on like the little like medical bench thing that's like awkwardly like waist high it's like (laughs) it's like a really weird thing that we decided like you you have to lay on something that's like too high you have to weirdly climb up on it and you could probably fall off of it but this is the standard medical height to lay at we decided it's not a table though it's not a table table. you can talk about padding on it you're so he's he's, yeah and and we pull the wet the butcher paper the wax paper over so it's it's everything's sanitary (laughs) So he's he's sitting sitting on that, but then his arm is like laying flat, and the nurse is there, and she's doing her best to calm him down. And the nurse can't give him any; they're not allowed to give him any painkillers, like not even like children's Tylenol. Uh. So I'm immediately like kicking myself that I didn't grab Tylenol on the way out of the of the house. And he's laying there, and he's like, you know, like bottom lip shaking, and he's looking at me, and he's like, I can tell he's like really trying to be tough. And then I hold him, and then he like breaks down, and. Anyway, his his arm is on the side of this this swivel chair, and the nurse is kind of like you can tell he was just screaming so much that she was just like grabbing whatever was around her and trying to solve the problem, like doing absolutely the best that she can. But she's now kind of wedged in the corner where the swivel chair is kind of boxing her in, and she's sitting on the little um, table thing next to him. And so we talk for a couple minutes and I'm hugging Julian and talking to him and she like removes the little ice pack that she's got on it. And I can see like a, his arm is like bowed, like it's visibly broken. Oh. Oh. And that's just terrible. And she's like, Hey, any movement at all is so painful for him. So, and she's already talking to me. Like, do you have someone that can sit in the back of the car with him to like help hold his arm straight while he goes to the emergency room and whatever. And so 
then she's going to get him this like little mini splint. And she's trying to like, if you've seen Catherine Zeta Jones and entrapment trying to get through the lasers, this is her <laughs> trying to get around. We all remember that scene. We were all 13 sure. year old boys when that movie <laughs> yeah. came out. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So, it was a coming of age moment for me. Big, it was a big <laughs> moment the for all of us. So she's, so she's like trying to like, I don't know, yoga, tai chi, her way out of it. And the worst moment, guys, is as she's, and this is not her fault, as she's doing her absolute best to like get out and around, she accidentally kicks the swivel chair. No. Oh. <laughs> and it slides out from underneath Julian's arm. So he's like fully, and he's, he had just started to calm down. Oh. And the noise that Julian made when all of a sudden the thing that was supporting his arm moved and he had to like catch his arm was, I will never forget it. It was guttural, primal pain scream from a five-year-old. And it was awful. Oh, no. So that's been my week, guys. And the, the thing, which I don't remember if this was a thing when we were kids, but they don't cast immediately now. Yeah. And so they wait for the swelling to go down, which makes sense. They wait for the sure. swelling to go down to, to cast it. And so that was either Thursday or Friday. And we're recording this on the, on the following Wednesday. And we just got him a cast today. And so this crazy person who's in so much pain, and then we give him, like they say, hey, if you combine Tylenol and ibuprofen, children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen, just like the recommended dose for both. And you give both of them to him. It's, it's like, it's almost like codeine for a kid. Like it'll, oh, wow. it's a, it, when they combine, it's a really strong painkiller for a kid. And so obviously that's something that you don't abuse, but when he's got a terribly visibly broken arm, we do that. And so the last like six days have been vacillating between his because we're trying to like wait until he's in pain to give him the painkiller. We don't want to just like keep him hopped up on painkillers. And so he goes from I'm in pain and like shaky and grumpy and like he's, he's in a bunch of pain to we give him this medicine and then it's like 20 minutes for it to kick in. And then he's like high. For like 45 <laughs> minutes of like loud and giggly. And this is when he's at his most dangerous because he's not in any pain. So literally like two hours after <laughs> the worst pain he's ever been in, he's walking down the hallway, whacking his arm yes. in a splint on yes. the wall, like not thinking. He's just like looking around, <laughs> whacking it on the wall. <laughs> and then he's high. And then he, we've got like three or four hours of like, you're a normal person. And then he goes back into like cranky and then high. So that's the cycle that we've been in for like five or six days. I saw him and, uh, and so I, I told him, I was trying to, you know, like make, make, uh, make good out of all this and just say, Hey buddy, when you get your cast, you let me know and I'll have a Sharpie pen and I'll draw whatever you want on your cast. So just like, think about what you want. And I'm, I'm thinking that he needs to like really mull this over. And he's like, no, I know right now what I want. I want you to draw a broken arm on my cast. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it'd be like an x-ray effect or something, you know, like, like you can see through the cast. He's like, listen, I don't want to lie to people. You know what's underneath here? A broken arm. So guys, what I've been like wrestling with this week is it just feels like, um, I don't know if I'm being honest, I've been like completely drained and exhausted and not at my best. 
And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just how much of my time and energy I am, I'm spending right now caretaking. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like Julian is like a right now with a broken arm is like a pretty much 24 seven, like middle of the night. And then, you know, the two other kids have other stuff going on and getting sick and there's some like health stuff that's not worth getting into. And, and to be clear is not super serious or life threatening, but it's, it's life altering that my wife is going through right now. And I've been just, I don't know, super empty and not at my best. And I don't know. I've been like thinking a lot about how I just don't feel like I'm wired up to be a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't, yeah. it seems like there are some people that like that fills them up. I mean, I'm sure it's hard for everybody, so I don't want to minimize that, but there are some people I think that it's probably it comes more naturally to them than it does to me. Well, they feel like I'm really good at this. This is, this gives me purpose. Yeah, that we're in a burst into action type thing of like, Hey, yeah. okay, here we go. I'm taking care of this. Let's go. You yeah. need this. You need that. Super yeah. for everybody. End yeah, of the day, goes. here's all the people I took care of. Good day. Good, yeah. really good day. And like I, I can do it and I choose to do it because it's my job and my burden and my privilege and all the things that, you know, being a dad is, but, and being a husband is for that matter. But I, if I'm being like super honest, like I don't like it. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm not fulfilled by it. It's not the part of being a dad that I signed up for. And, or I mean, I guess I signed up for all of it, but it's not the part of being a dad that I, that I look forward to, but it is something that I have to do way more than I would like. And I'm really, really tired. I like, I feel like I know people, dads slash husbands specifically who are actually like good at this. And it's, <laughs> I would love to meet them. It's like half impressive, but also like, it's like half maddening too. Cause it's just like how, I, I mean, I remember, I remember when Allie was two, she got pink eye. Because you farted Somehow. on her. Because <laughs> I farted on her pillow. Um, yeah. nice, nice, we nice, have nice. a pretty loose home around here. <laughs> Allie got pink eye. And then what I saw was over the course of like the next, like it felt like six months. It was probably like three weeks. Her and Amy just kind of like passed it back and forth. Oh, because at that point we were, we were co-sleeping a lot. They kept farting on each other's pillows? They kept <laughs> farting on each other. It turned into a real prank war, guys. I don't know. <laughs> trying, to, trying to sleep here. Jeez. Um, and I just remember, I think the the pink eye, and then also I think within that, like, Atlee, I, I think this happens with, like, one to two-year-olds is they'll have, like, a cold that just lasts, like, a whole year. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? No, I've, like, I've had that experience too where I'm, I'm like, like, I'm trying to remember months, the last time you didn't have a runny nose. I think it was three and you're still like, have a loose cough. How's that possible? And I just remember <laughs> at that moment, like feeling a little bit like kind of like what you're saying, Kevin, like drained and then talking to a friend of mine who's like telling me about when his kids were younger and he, he had like, oh yeah, we had like a six month period where like everybody had broken bones, including my wife. She broke her foot. Yeah. And that was just a... Uh, Crazy time, man, but I'll tell you what, man, I got really good at cooking grilled cheese, really good at, you know, taking kids to the movies. Yeah, And I'm like, what? Like, you, like, you just did it? You liked it? <laughs> well, did you, did you complain about it? He's like, ah, uh, no, I mean, whatever, you know, I pray to God about it. I'm like, oh, okay, you're that guy, got it. 
<laughs> but it was <laughs> but it was very much like yeah, I'm sure in the moment he probably wasn't as like awesome as he was painting out to be, but he just kind of painted it as like, yeah, with perspective, I see it was actually a really cool time. I got very close to my daughters and I got, it really helped me work out that servant part of me. And I'm just like, Oh dude, not me. If my, if either, if any of my kids or my wife ever break anything, I'm moving into a motel. Like, <laughs> like, All right, I'll see you guys later. You guys deal with this. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where like in the moment, I actually don't think in the moment it's hard because in the moment you have so much empathy and compassion for the kid that's in pain, like Julian crying at three in the morning because his arm hurts. And then in that moment, I'm realizing like, oh, your painkiller's wearing off and yeah. your the pain in your broken arm just woke you up. And like, that's how you feel right now. It's, it's not, I'm not resentful. It's not yeah. hard. I'm up. I'm going to get him the, you know, take care of him and I'm going to like rub his back or help him sleep or do whatever I need to do. Like, I'm fine. It's like the moment where I get back into bed or it's like, it's actually the in-between moments where, I, or the moments where I'm trying to plan, like, how am I going to do something for me? Like that, that's where I feel like empty and worn out and resentful. It doesn't fill you up. Like there, there are people for whom being a caretaker, caregiver is like fulfills their life's purpose and mission and they mm -hmm. go to bed at the end of the day like recounting the ways they were helpful and they're like I did my thing today like I, I was in my job. I was in my I zone and then there's other people that are like you're saying we're like I can do that cuz I have all those dad instincts where like I switch into that mode whatever my kids need I do it and then it totally wipes me out <laughs> and that's the world I've been living in meanwhile I go to bed at night and I count how many black Sabbath references I casually flipped <laughs> in the conversation and that's how I know if I was in my zone. Like, yeah, no, I killed it. Three masters of reality. There's four said to a parent. It was great. Derek, I just want to say you're the Iron Man of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're the war pig of the <laughs> hey, in the immigrant song. <laughs> Gonna eat a bat later. There are two people who are like with us on dad empathy mm -hmm. and Black Sabbath deep cuts. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to see, like, you know, as the non dad, my I feel like my role is to just figure out how niche we can become. And I'm really, <laughs> I'm really catering to empathetic classic rock dads on yeah. this episode. That's gonna, I'm gonna just keep steering us back there if you guys don't mind. The question that. I've been like asking myself and then like feeling guilty for asking myself. I've asked myself the question multiple times, who's going to take care of me? Oh, sure. And yeah. like, and like I felt that and then I kind of feel small. Like I feel like a little kid, like I don't want to need that. But like, there's right. that part of me where I'm like, do you need your mom? Like, is that yeah. what's going on? Like, do you need your mom to like make you some soup and like rub your back? And like, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> and like, that's, I'm just being fully honest, guys. Like, that is where I'm at right now. Okay. You know who's not going to take care of me is Sarah. Cause <laughs> rested. Cause I don't know. We're, we see, she and I are both uh, the oldest siblings. I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but like, we have so much care for David if he's not doing good, and we will team up and take care of him. But if, either one of us dares to get sick, we're both just like, oh, no, no way, no way. You have you have four hours. I'm going to give you four hours, and then if you're not better, I'm going <laughs> to just 
passively aggressively just always just be like ah, you're still sick huh you're still oh, you, oh, you need more medicine you still, still clinging to the whole sick oh, thing huh yeah you, I would oh, hate to be married to both of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds terrible I don't know I don't know what it is but like we're just so mean to each other when the other person's sick we're just like get better already you wuss <laughs> and it's just like and it sucks I don't I don't want to be that way I don't I don't want to be treated that way but then I do it to Sarah too we're both just like oh gosh because like now I gotta do double duty and so like get get better already yeah. okay I would say step one for you guys. You didn't ask my advice, but I'm going to give it to you. Is stop using air quotes whenever you use the phrase "sick" in reference to each other. Still oh, feeling sorry. sick. He broke his femur. I just feel like what's really important to me right now is that I um, clarify that uh, "Immigrant Song" is not by Black Sabbath, but is uh, Led Zeppelin, and I just feel a lot better by clarifying that hey everybody if you're out there make sure you tweet tyler <laughs> at tyler tyler and tell him that he was mistaken have you guys seen that meme that's um sir patrick stewart and it says use the force harry and then it says like gandalf is the <laughs> yes. quote <laughs> yes i basically want to do that but for classic rock so i'm just gonna get everything mixed up and just see if we can get a bunch of ats this week it's the whole scene where dwight is not allowed to waste any time in the office and so Jim deliberately messes up all of the things yeah. that Dwight loves. He's explaining the plot of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and it's like Gandalf talking to Darth Vader <laughs> and Harry Potter. And how it's a shot for shot remake of the original. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is the part of the episode where I like to point out that we're 21 episodes in and if you have listened to 21 episodes of us talking, first of all, thank you. Thank you very much. Because we also would probably listen to 21 episodes <laughs> of us talking. We have listened to 21 episodes <laughs> of us talking. Um, I'd also like to point out that if you are listening on the day of the release, today is what we call Cyber Monday here in the capitalist West. The most American holiday there is. And um, today is probably a day where you're buying things on the interwebs. And here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to buy our thing. Yeah, our thing is the Hey Dad Playbox. And if you like this podcast, and if you have kids that are between the ages of three and six, I can't say it more clearly, you will love this thing we made. So many people that have subscribed to the Hey Dad Playbox are hitting us on social or they're writing us emails and they're just saying, this is the most fun I've ever had with my kids. Imagine like the tone and fun that we try to aim for in the 45 minutes of each of these episodes, but imagine we're not talking over each other the whole time and you get to do all the fun things with your kids. That's basically what's in this box. It's so much fun. We put so much time and love and effort. We're actually recording this ad read in the middle of our warehouse surrounded by Hey Dad play boxes that we're shipping out and and you're gonna love it it's it's the best moments that you have with your kids boxed up and they show up once a month also if you're anything like me and you're like maybe a bad gift giver let's just say hypothetically hypothetically this time of year is kind of stressful kind of like obligation based I'm here to tell you this gift rules so if you have like dads, uncles, honestly moms in your life that like playing with kids, this gift will make you look awesome. You get like cool street cred because you didn't get it at Toys R Us. You get to feel RIP Toys R Us. You get to feel self-important because you're supporting a startup. It's it, it checks all the boxes. You will love it. Get it for someone you love for Christmas. And we also have a deal going on right now. Yeah, so instead of doing like some big crazy discount, um, what we're doing is anybody that either buys Hey Dad for themselves or buys it as a gift, we are gonna give you another month of Hey Dad that you can give to someone else. 
So you just go to our website. You don't have to enter a code. You don't have to do anything out of the ordinary. Just buy Hey Dad for you or for someone else. And we are going to send you an email and say, who else do you want us to send a Hey Dad box to? This offer doesn't last long. Do it now. Pause the episode. Go to HeyDad.com. You can do it on your phone. It takes 30 seconds. And I promise you, I promise you, you're going to love it. Or else. (laughs) Or else I will record an apology for you. Our other sponsor this week is Grado. Grado makes these killer headphones. I'm wearing them right now. They feel like angels are massaging my ears, and my (laughs) voice has never sounded better inside my own eardrums right now. They're amazing. They have this really rad, uh, very on-brand Hey Dad vibe, where it's like a family business, a dad passed on generation to generation, ran with their kids. We love the product. We love the story. We love the brand. We love the headphones. That's what we're going to be recording with from now on, which is very cool. And um, Kevin spent a few minutes talking with one of the Grado dudes about the story. So check it out. So we're actually going to spend a couple minutes now talking to Jonathan Grado, who is a part of a grandfather, father, son lineage of audiophiles in Brooklyn um, making Grado headphones. And so, uh, John, can you talk to us a little bit about sort of that aspect of Grado and why, how that like bleeds into the product? Yeah, of course. So it all started in 1953 when my great uncle, who was my dad's uncle, who from this point on, I'll just call him Uncle Joe. Um, So Uncle Joe was a master watchmaker and he was working at Tiffany's, but he was also building cartridges for turntables on his kitchen table. Um, he started building enough where he couldn't fit them all in his kitchen anymore. And he went to his siblings around the corner who owned Grado Fruit. Uh, we had a fruit store from 1918 to 1953. And he told them he had this idea and he wanted the whole building. So they shut down the fruit store. We opened Grado Labs and here we are today. So Uncle Joe sounds like one of those like greatest generation guys that's like way more interesting than you and I will ever be. He's like legend status OG guy who knows how to like fix stuff and do stuff. Yeah, like I'm I'm just gonna switch from being a master watchmaker to building these little generators that help you listen <laughs> to music. So yeah, my my dad's first job was sweeping the floors at Grado in nineteen sixty five when he was twelve. And from that point on he was really under his uncle's wing in just learning the business and learning how to use his ear and my dad started running the day-to-day operations in the 70s, and then the 80s, we went from building about 10,000 cartridges a week to 12,000 for the whole year because everything was more practical than a turntable. So we had 85 employees, and my great-uncle was just going to close everything down. And my dad told him he had a couple ideas. So, uh, so this is like eight tracks, cassettes. And then eventually CDs are just killing the record industry. And it looks like Grado's going to, it looks like Grado's going to die. So yeah, my dad bought the company from his uncle completely. We went down to three employees, my dad, my mom, and another man named John. In 1991, when my dad came out with our first headphones, that's what really uh, pivoted the company towards headphones. And we started hiring again in 1994. Our first uh, hires were these two sisters, and they've been in charge of our headphone floor ever since 1994 till today. Wow. Um, yeah, so on their, right behind their workbench and on their floor, they have my height in, marked in tape going up the wall. Oh, that's adorable. Um, 
Yeah. So you guys hooked uh, all the Hey Dad podcast guys up with these awesome new wireless headphones that you guys just launched. And if someone's listening to this podcast and they think this might be a good Christmas gift, uh, where can they go to, to find these headphones? You can go to greaterlabs.com to see more, uh, or you can check them out on our Instagram at, at greaterlabs. Super high-quality headphones, guys. They're made in Brooklyn by like a family that you just heard so much about and a product that, that I think as, as when, when we're thinking about Hey Dad and like building this like multi-generational company that we want to build, Grado is one of the companies that we look up to and uh, you should support them. So make it happen. So Kev, when you're feeling that like who's going to take care of me thing, is that is that the kind of thing that you like? talk about with Trisha? Is it, is it just like, a, I just have to deal with, I have to figure this out on my own? Like, what do you do with that feeling? Yeah, no, I do. I do talk about it with Trisha and it ranges from the, uh, like sort of darkly funny to the like really sad. And so I'll give a couple examples. So on the, I don't know, dark humor side of things, we were on a summer vacation uh, with our extended family this summer, um, on, on Trisha's side. And they're just the best people. It's a vacation we do every summer. That's so much fun. And there was another thing where it kind of felt like everybody was going through something and I was going through something, but the thing I was going through just wasn't as important as what everybody else was going through. And I distinctly remember on the last day of the vacation, my brother-in-law threw out his back and I remember feeling jealous that he threw out his back. (laughs) That is so unhealthy. (laughs) It's so unhealthy. And I had that feeling and I immediately recognized like, well, that's crazy. Like that's not. And so I just told Trisha about it and I just told her in the context of like, Hey, I know this is super weird, but like I felt this way and I feel like it's something that we should talk about. And we like laughed and talked through it and et cetera, et cetera. And part of my problem is that like I personally I'm really bad at asking for help. And I want to be the guy that has it all together. And I want to be the dad and the husband that has it all together. And I want to be the one that everybody can lean on and I can handle it and not just handle it. I can like thrive and take care of everybody else and take care of myself. Like that's the person I want to be and will sort of try to be. And when I'm like, all my other needs are getting met, that's the person I think I can, I can be some reasonable facsimile of that person. But when I have other stuff in my life that's going on that where I'm not at my best, that becomes this super unhealthy thing where I'm helping, trying to like take care of everybody else. Meanwhile, I'm like resentful and like drained and literally Monday night. So we're recording this on a Wednesday on Monday night. I was like in tears in my living room talking to Trisha, which is like not, I mean, some people cry a lot. I don't cry a ton, Um, at least in this context. And I just like broke and was just like, I was just saying things like, I feel like nothing is going well. And I feel like I can't, I feel like all I do is help other people and I can't take care of myself. And I feel like everybody else's needs are more important than mine. And I'm just saying all this like through tears that are like streaming down my face. And then, so like in that context, like to answer your question, Tyler, like, yeah, it is, I think Trish and I have a healthy enough relationship that we can talk through those things. But like one of the things that I need to get better at as a dad and as a husband is like, I need to figure out how to be okay 
asking for help before it gets to that point because I'm just spending all my time pretending like I'm holding it all together and I can, I'm big enough and strong enough to take care of everybody. And on the inside, I'm just empty. Don't you kind of feel that it's, isn't it kind of almost like this small accumulation? Like it's like death by a thousand cuts almost where, um, something small happens or you feel something small and you just kind of push it down because it would feel like making like a huge mountain out of a molehill. Yep. And then you wait six months and before you know it, you're like, Oh my gosh, all those things added There's up. There's so many molehills. So big inside me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These molehills all became one big, all mountain. of these yeah. moles teamed up and are assaulting me. And one of the things too, that like Trish and I were talking about is that part of what we're like wrestling with is that I think if we're being honest, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, like taking care of the kids and being up in the middle of the night and Julian's broken arm and even like me getting the phone call and going to Julian's school when he broke his arm, all of this stuff used to just be mom's job. And like all that like dad had to do was just make enough money and be reasonably kind and nonviolent at home. Like that was it. And so... Part of what I'm, I feel like, you know, we've had a version of this conversation a hundred times, but it keeps coming up where it's just like, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm probably not, but it feels like I'm like breaking new ground when I'm trying to figure out how to like provide for the family and have a career that I'm really proud of and take a lot of pride in my work and advance in my career and do all of this. And then at the same time, stay in good shape and, you know, be, do that whole side of things and be a great, loving, sacrificial equal in my marriage. And then like be this amazing, funny and discipline and all the things that like, I need to be cool dad and silly dad and stern dad and caretaker dad and nurture dad and middle of the night dad. And it's just, sometimes it's just too much. And I'm like, I can't, I can't be all of these things. And I, and I, but I'm not content to not be great at all these things. And welcome to Kevin's podcast therapy session. <laughs> Dude, I'm just stoked that, that you started letting us bill you hourly for these. Yeah, exactly. It's getting expensive. I wonder like, cause Kevin, I hear you saying some of this is just like, not like I'm breaking new terror. I'm breaking new ground. Like you're the only per- man who's ever experienced this, but there is something about that. Like, historical tendency for mom to kind of like do all this kind of territory and all this kind of work that I feel like a lot of women probably have like grown up their whole lives, almost like training for this because society or what, whatever circle they grew up in or whatever has kind of said like, Hey, this is, this is how you do a good job as a woman. You need to kind of invest in these like caretaking, nurturing, skills even if this isn't something that maybe comes supernaturally to you and so it's almost like 20 30 years or whatever of like forming your personhood around being a nurturer or caregiver and kind of going like I know that someday I have to be this and this is going to be celebrated in me and this is going to be taught to me and this is going to be expected of me so then it almost just feels like the women in our lives maybe have a greater capacity for this and I don't know if you guys have a conversation with your wife or this where yeah. maybe they're like like maybe I feel some level of bad for you or I'm sorry, you're feeling all these things, but like, I wonder if they're thinking like, 
I don't think I would feel that overwhelmed if I were you because I've like flexed these muscles my whole life. And I feel like as this generation of men are trying to figure out how to like swim in that water more, it's they're also going and no one like, and I didn't know this was really part of the job. Like I'm just now like learning on the job. Whereas I feel like a lot of women maybe were told or taught or whatever to like, get get ready like prep for this Mm -hmm. because at some point you should expect to have to do a lot of this stuff i i noticed that in in both my daughters that a lot of girls almost kind of expected to just kind of have so like i see my daughters and and my youngest at two years old she'll often walk around the house holding um a doll and she'll talk to the doll like it's her baby and she does it because she sees her older sister does it who does it because she saw her mom do it with her younger, you know, you know, it's just kind of gets passed down to the point where my two year olds carry around Elmo and she's going, I know Elmo. I know you're okay. Elmo. She's like empathizing with her fake doll at two. That is so cute. (laughs) Meanwhile, Elmo's like, (laughs) like a psycho. That's pretty good. Elmo. Thanks. And just think about, you know, when you were a kid, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was, I think I was pretty, you know, artistic and non-athletic about as artistic and non-athletic as they come. <laughs> and like, even I didn't, I just really want to, I just like want to second could, that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never felt like I could carry a doll around the house, nor did I want to carry a doll around the house. There was, you know, there's, there comes a question about like gender and, and gender assignment. And that's all, that's probably a later conversation, but um, I don't think guys are ever, little boys are raised to think they can carry dolls around and, and, and practice or work out this muscle of mm-hmm. empathy um, like like girls do. In first grade, I remember having that experience where I think I maybe had some of that, like um, some of those like natural tendencies to want to like play house and do like uh, play, like do make believe. And I, I had this like alter ego named Spot Peterson who was like a cook. And like, I, I think I liked <laughs> some of that stuff intuitively. And I remember in first grade, I was playing with two girls in my class and we were like playing house. Like we were all like being moms or something. I don't know, something. And I remember Jonathan Webster made fun of <sighs> me for playing house and for playing with girls. And like, I had this, this moment of like, Oh, Boys aren't supposed to act like this. And because I knew and was a really fully formed emotional being, I hit him with my cast (laughs) and I had to go to the office. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Guys, you know, we spent today uh, a large part today speaking about uh, relationship dynamics and that's perfect because lately I've been thinking about what's going to happen when my daughters start uh, dating. Wow. Oh. And that's weird because they're five and two. But I and guess you're not going to really... date until they're seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's old fashioned. <laughs> Traditional. I guess what I'm really thinking about is what sort of dad I'm going to be. Um, cause I remember dating girls in high school and meeting their dads and how weird and like subtly threatening they'd be. <laughs> yeah. And they like clean, they often, cleaning like, their gun when you come inside. Exactly. And, and sometimes they weren't really good at it. 
You know, it's one thing to be a big dude and tell some scared high school junior about your gun collection, you know. <laughs> but it's different to be a, a really small, skinny software engineer and read me some BS rules for dating my daughter crap when you know I could knock you out. <laughs> and I wasn't even physical when I was in high school. I was fast. I'm pretty sure I could have taken some little dude in a fight. Like, just because you have a daughter who I want to take to Olive Garden doesn't mean I won't test you in these streets. You're you know like, listen, I don't have a high opinion of my own physical prowess, and even I know I could kick your butt. But now I'm 37. Uh... Times have changed. Uh, eighth grader in CVS the other day told me he'd take my wallet if I didn't let him cut in line. <laughs> I just did it. I'm weak, both physically, also in my heart. Uh, God knows how fat and slow I'm going to be in like 10 or 12 years, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, honestly, at that point, my daughters might be able to actually just themselves take me out back and pound me into the ground, <laughs> just being honest. So really, it's it's less about me trying to intimidate whichever young man comes to our door to take my little girls out for a date, and it's more about me trying to be like super helpful and demonstrate my usefulness uh, <laughs> in that way. So it's a, if you can't beat them, join them situation. <laughs> Prove it, your value. It's exactly what it is. Derek. So Derek has Stockholm syndrome for the hypothetical dating partner. All that is that is. I couldn't finish that joke. Go ahead. I, I, that's fine. That's probably the name of your biography. Um, <laughs> Arrested. So I've written down a few actual helpful uh, I, I, rules for dating my daughter. Um, and actually, like, no, let's scratch that. I don't want to be bossy. Let's say tips for dating my daughter. Um, tips. I honestly don't care what time you bring them home or if you give them their first beer at Chili's or something. I, I can't help you with that. That's, like, not on me at all. <laughs> I can tell you a few things now based on what sort of humans they are. Um, <laughs> note this all might change in the next decade. One, when it comes time for a meal, just be aware that right now they only eat a little bit at dinner because they super want to get back to watching roll star fight videos on their mom's <laughs> cell phone. <laughs> You're going to have to wait until much, much later, like closer to eight or nine, uh, for them to actually want to eat. Um, it's cool. I've been getting them graham crackers before bedtime recently and they think it's like dessert. Um, <laughs> Make sure they brush their teeth again. You're probably going to need them to wash. You're probably going to have to wash them, make sure they actually do it. Um, <laughs> two, they're both really into doing crafts. They're only at like the most inconvenient times. Um, so if you go to a movie or a concert, or even one of those like cool underage drinking parties that I always hear about, you should probably print out some coloring pages or bring an origami kit or something, or they will get super whiny. <laughs> Three. There's this thing my older daughter is doing recently where anytime we go anywhere with the playground, she gets like super show offy and does a bunch of cool little tricks on the bars. Like she's just trying to make you feel bad. She's trying to rattle you, <laughs> reinforce how much better she is at things than you are. I'm just going to tell you this, man. Let it go. If you try to compete with her, everyone else in the park's going to get really weird about it. Four, <laughs> at this point in the game, I'm really hoping that Atlee's over it, but she really hates it when you drive fast or even what she perceives as fast, <laughs> which... At this point, is like anything over 40 miles per hour. <laughs> Emmy hates it too, but I think she's just kind of copying Atlee. <laughs> Do me a favor. Don't speed up or act like the brakes are broken because like she takes it like very seriously. <laughs> she will start to hyperventilate. And it doesn't matter how many times you try it, same reaction. <laughs> Never funny. Never funny for her. Five. Uh, and I kind of felt like I had to write this. Whatever you do to her, I will do to you. <laughs> no. No. I'm, that's that's not true. I I will do nothing to you. <laughs> Six. 
Last but not least, if you guys get in an argument, you're not going to win. Uh, and that's not because they're better at arguing, but they're smarter at it. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you'll get in these arguments probably at Target. And then both kids will intentionally make eye contact with other adults around them and try to like subtly pull them to their side. <laughs> and this is a game you're not going to win. Like, for instance, the other day, a lady who works at the Starbucks in Target just straight up gave my two-year-old a cake pop. After I spent like five minutes telling her she couldn't have that cake pop, <laughs> this lady literally went, eh, this guy seems like a real wuss. Give the kid a cake pop. <laughs> What's she literally he walked do? around. She walked around from behind the counter. She put a cake pop in a bag. And without even looking at me or consulting with me, knelt down and handed it to my two-year-old daughter. <laughs> That's after I had spent so much time arguing about how you can't have the cake pop. And now she has a cake pop. The, the lack of I, eye contact in that interaction was a power move for sure. It was maddening. And also I respected it. Just a little bit. <laughs> and honestly, I know there are five and two and I like to think this is going to end, but it will not. Um, and this is how my kids will one day get somebody to buy them a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Take all those rules and make it into a, a wooden sign with a bunch of different fonts, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Hopefully, <laughs> you know what's funny is I we had we had dinner at somebody's house who I'm on staff with um, at the church, and um, he consistently talks about. Hey, I listen to your podcast. I love it. I think it's funny. Yada, yada. He's like very like encouraging. And I walked into their house and they had that multi, like that maddenly multi font list of like, we do love, we show each other grace, da, 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 all in different fonts. And uh, he goes, uh, eh? <laughs> See that? <laughs> and I go, uh, I kind of laugh. I go, yeah, dude. Yeah, Aaron, that's, that's, that's funny. And he goes to his wife who has never listened to our podcast. <laughs> Hey, Kathy, he hates these rules. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <laughs> she just goes, oh. Like, she's very sweet. Oh, okay. And I'm like, no, I, these rules are fine. <laughs> it's just a character I play on a podcast. Hey, well, that's it for the Hey Dad podcast. But um, before we end, uh, Tyler, tell us a little bit about who's coming up on next week. Yeah, next week should be good. We got our uh, our dog walker, Mike. Uh, on the show to tell me about the time that one of the dogs he was uh, boarding at his house uh, got into his edibles and ate those and now I'm not sure I want him to walk my dog anymore. <laughs> Is that a real thing? True story. Oh. <laughs> well, that's all for the Hey Dad Podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Tyler. I'm Derek. I'm Andy. Love you. Bye. Bye.